This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Patreon, where creators can build a more sustainable income source by giving their fans monthly access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. Check out patreon.com now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. From NPR Music, it's All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. It's the end of the decade, and today on All Songs Considered, I have our next-to-last piece in a series of 10 podcasts about music in the 2010s. The series includes stories about the globalization of music, the rise of Bandcamp, the birth of stand culture, social media, and more. For this podcast, I wanted to look at music making in the 2010s, both on stage and in the studio, or in the bedroom for that matter. In the 2010s, the laptop has been a fundamental instrument in music making. Programs such as Pro Tools, Logic, Ableton are all used for constructing beats, creating sounds, and altering voices. Artificial intelligence is being used to write songs and react in real time with musicians. I want to begin with the role of computers in live performance. Laptops are often used to play back sound that can't easily be created in a live setting. And that reminded me of how ELO, when they went on tour 40 years ago with their album Out of the Blue, they supplemented some of the live playing with backing tapes, strings, and it caused quite an uproar and a lot of backlash. People thought Jeff Lynne and the band were cheating, but now in the 2010s, laptops with backing tracks are commonplace. So I went to the 930 Club to meet King Princess. King Princess is Michaela Strauss, a Brooklyn-based artist now living in Los Angeles. She grew up around recording gear. Her father, Oliver Strauss, is a recording engineer at Mission Sound in Brooklyn. So technology and music making is second nature to the 21-year-old King Princess. I wanted her to shed insight on how musicians these days take complex sounds from the studio and present them in a live setting. I think there's always kind of that oh fuck moment, you know, when I start producing it out where I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be a hard one for live. You know, there's those songs where you're like, this is going to sound great live. Like, and there's those songs where you're like, I just really like stab myself. (laughs) I just like stab myself in the gut. So let's start with what are you doing at either home? Are you doing this in your bedroom? Some of it? I work a lot on my laptop. So I start most of my tracks on my laptop, but... I'm a studio girl at heart. My dad's a recording engineer. Gotcha. So I start on my laptop mostly, but there's also a, a, a pre- predominant amount of the recording is done in studio and it's done on Pro Tools. I start on Ableton usually because I think it's a great, like, it's a great sketchbook. So that means that you can lay beats down very easily. Just I take build all the, the beats right. for sure. I the structure do most of the, of the song, sampling but. and most of the kind of like initial non-analog synth work. And it's perfect for making those sounds that you, because I, I like a mixture of cheap and expensive, you know, digital and analog. And I think with Ableton, what's nice is that I, some of the best production and uh, sample moments of my music are, are done on Ableton and they stay very true to the original Ableton session. I bring the session in to my engineer, Mike, who is a Pro Tools whiz. I'm, a, I'm competent in Pro Tools, but he's really like, he's, he's the man. 
because, you know, Miss Pro Tools is hard. And I bring it into him and we fly in all the tracks, which means you load in all the session tracks and files from the Ableton to Pro Tools and kind of work together to make sure that the structure's right. Because once it's in Ableton, it's on a grid, meaning yeah. it's on, you know, you have it all to a click, to a metronome. Do you like working that way? I love it. I have perfected my my system. Like for me, it's like the, I have to have both. And when I, when I get it into Pro Tools, that's when I start live tracking more synths. I usually put in my live bass. Do you click track at that point? There's always a click. Well. Except for when I... There's a couple songs I have recorded that are just one take with the band. What do you think that does to the music you make? The click? Just, yeah. Um, well, I think for me, it's like, for some of my songs, I, I play about 80% of my music on stage to a click. But it's really important to me that there are moments that are off click and that there are songs that aren't, you know, kind of guided by a metronome because we're a band. Yeah. We play like a band and... It, it's important for me as an artist and as a musician to have those moments of every night it's different. We might play it a little faster some nights, might play it a little slower depending on the crowd. Would you change your click or you just, or it's Never just the song? Never change the click. <laughs> I'm a stickler. And yesterday my MD was like, you could really play 1950, uh, 78 BPM. And I said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I said, shut the fuck up. So for people who don't understand, there is a click that's going on it's a bpm is it beats per right. minute and are you using an in-ear monitor yep. okay so describe that because for people sometimes they think they go to a show and the singer or whatever is wearing earplugs and the drummer is wearing earplugs but they're not what's going on in your ear for people well what i like about click is that because i'm a producer and because i make these songs so intentionally and so specifically and that i choose a tempo and a bpm with a lot of intention. Yeah. I really think about how far we can push it, how fast we can push it, or how slow we could push it, depending on the track. I want it to be true to that, yeah. live. And I think there's merit to kind of doing it that way. And what's going on in my ears is that I have the click track, so going throughout the whole thing, there's a count in, which is, is a new thing for me. They've got this woman's voice going, <laughs> one, two, three, four, and it's really bizarre, but I'm getting used to it. I, I don't mind her, honestly. She is a Does she have a name yet? No, oh. but I think her name's Tiffany. Okay. <laughs> and so also in my ears is a mixture of, um, a mix of all of my band members. I like to have my vocal the loudest and then everything so to So you be. can hear yourself above everything else when you say yeah. your vocals allow us or you're talking about backing no, a, track no my vocals. vocal meaning my live vocal because i like to hear you know and i have a lot of reverb on the on the vocal too because i like it wet and on stage the musicians that you have describe like what are the players who's in your ear so basically i have a bass player yeah and they see listen to a click everyone has a click we're all on the <laughs> same page i mean don't laugh yeah. listen it's there's merit to it and if i didn't know my shit and I was just blindly following the system of playing to a specific tempo every night, then it would be bullshit. But I do know what I'm doing, and I can play off a click. So when I do have a click, I deserve it. Okay, so you got and bass? I got bass, and then he's got, so he's got a little, yeah, it's like a Moog. He's got a sub 47 right there, and it's so basically, he's, he's, keyboard synthesizer sitting he's there. playing, he's playing some, there's a couple songs where I've got some big 808s in. So and drums, he, yeah. And I said, you know, I'm, you're getting a little lazy, okay? You're just playing the bass all night. <laughs> I know you know how to play keys. <laughs> You've got 
three hands. Honey, he's he can do it. He does whatever you'll see. You'll see. He does a great job. So then I got Melody is back there on the keys. So Melody's got a really amazing setup. I so see a you, can I bring back you on there. stage? Let's do it. I see it's a beautiful a modern Mellotron there. A modern Mellotron. Well, it doesn't have tape loops. It's it's still did the same tracks did, as your, the original. It's mm. just put into a computer. Right. So, over here, honey. This is the keyboard rig, honey. Okay, so I have, I have personally picked all of these. And we're standing around, the, there's a, just so people know, we're looking out at the audience. There's one, two, three, four keyboards here now. It was extremely important to me because I'm a key player myself, and also I'm obsessed with synths, to have, to give Mel the the fucking works. Like I wanted her to have what I use in the studio. So this is a Nord and the Nord has within it loaded in a lot of the sounds from the record, which means, so it's, it's a MIDI keyboard. It has its own sounds built in. I had my engineer load in some of the piano sounds that we've kind of worked to perfect in the record. And so it is great because it's like these things are they're really sturdy and they're really great for live and you can kind of do whatever you want with them. It's a nice weighted keyboard. You know, so I play one too. I'll get to that. This is another cuz you know the thing is about this is this this works better because it has so many keys for piano and whirly whirlitzer sounds and this is more like samples. So one's a keyboard is a smaller one where you're not playing a big wide range of low to high notes. Yeah. The, the Nord that's below it is something where you might be playing bass line on with your left hand and, and more melody right. up on the right hand. So a little bit more like a real piano. Yeah. And then, which again, we can't afford. And, and don't want or a haul, but keep going. No, but one day I will. Oh. <laughs> one day I'm going to want a fucking piano on stage, right, but we're not yeah, there yet. Yeah. So this is great because there's a lot of sample moments on the record, a lot of... Uh, a lot of moments, you know, that are kind of these weird noises and sounds that Mike and I have kind of put into the ambience of the record, and Melody can play all of them up here. And then this guy over here is a Prophet 6, and Prophets are, you know, 80s kind of quintessential bass sounds, bass synth, and what I love about it is it's nasty, it's dirt, it's dirty. You know, it's way dirtier than a Juno. I get excited. I'm such a gear nerd. It's like really absurd. Okay, let's go to Miss Drums. I'm gonna hop down here. So people think of a drum pad, they see people playing a bit of rubber and then anything can come out of it. So in one moment, it's a... <laughs> it's what you'd expect, which is a, a beat of a drum. But right. on the other hand, there was just that, and that was triggered by you hitting a drum pad, but it's a stringy sound. We got a few different things going on. So basically, Antoine has a really important position in the band. So for the songs that are tracks, he is responsible for the entire counting of the song and triggering all of the tracks that go into our ears. Okay, so we want to really talk about those tracks, but, but cool. tell me, how, how, how does he do it? Does he hit one of these pads and that triggers something? So he hits this to start the click and start the track. So he hits one of the pads to start the track. And then for each song, the pad, the sounds change. So he's basically got different drum sound for each pad. What's going on in that snare? That's like, that? Like, 
No, the snare drum itself looks kind of... this? Yeah, what... what so basically, Describe. this is, this is a, an incredible snare drum. So Antoine brought this into rehearsal, and I was like, it's one of those like really deep, old Gretsch snares. It's got a really beautiful sound to it. But what he's got going on here is he's got a snare trigger. So in addition to the pad, where he's triggering the tracks and playing some of the beat, he's also got a snare sound that triggers with the actual snare. So the snare is mic'd, so you're gonna hear a real snare in the house when you're listening to the show, but you'll also hear... There's a little device right now, it looks like a little clasp that's, that's sitting on top trigger. of it. And so when he hits that, it senses that snare drum and it starts another sound, which could be, in this case, another snare drum to mixed with the Yeah, so for original. certain songs, what I, I, was, I said to him, you know, I want you to be playing the kit, but I want a little more meat to the, to the beat of it and I wanted to replicate the record. Right. So he got these snare and kick triggers and basically he's, he, can, he can trigger an additional sample drum sound that plays in addition to the, into the live kit. Awesome. Cool. And is there any kind of rhythm going on that is not being played by him? The majority is being played by him, but in the tracks there are a couple things where it's like he just doesn't have enough hands. So when when you hit this very first pad here, a song starts, and yeah. this backing track that's going on while he's playing the drums is this. Right. So this is the track for If You Think It's Love from my record. And then what are you doing on stage at that moment? Are you singing? I'm singing and, over it. And you so know that because you're here in the click and you know when to come in. Right. Because Tiffany has told yes, you. Yes, Tiffany <laughs> has told me at this time. And it's funny because, you know, when I recorded that part, it's a harmonizer, you know. So I, there was a keyboard being played on top of my vocal to kind of emulate a pad sound. That instrument is taking your voice, hearing the frequencies of your voice, and breaking it up by the chord yeah. that you might be playing on the keyboard. So if you play a C chord, your voice that's going, huh, is... Yes, and it's replicating it, which is why it sounds like a robot, which is also part of the, the appeal of the sound, is that it sounds kind of more than human. And what's nice about shit like this is it's that... It's a vocoder, though, it's not a vocoder. A I mean, it's a vocal harmonizer because it, right. it's, it's harm engine, but it is a vocoder. What's nice about this type of stuff is that there's moments that are so gorgeous and simplistic and it's a pop show i don't want to play those chords while i sing i want to sit there and sing to this beautiful track and you know there's moments where that doesn't work but for that song it's great to have a track in your ear that is guiding you through the part of the song that would have otherwise had to be played by me while i sing because i'm old enough to have seen so many iterations of technology and I'm an electronic musician, so I embrace technology. Yeah. But, so, but I'm going to say this, which is that I've heard so many people say it's cheating, right? And I yeah. see the, you, the look on your face when you describe this. It's not cheating. It's, it's uh, liberating. No, it's not cheating because I think it would be cheating if you had no idea what you were doing and just accepting this as the reality of music. But, you know, tech, what's nice about technology is that... It's a tool and it can be a crutch, but it can also be a way to make a show feel really 
emotive and beautiful. And I think for that song, it's like, I sit on that riser and I sing the first few lines of that song with a spotlight and all of a sudden this magical fucking track comes out of nowhere and everyone in the audience is like, <gasps> and you know, for that moment it makes sense that I wouldn't be playing the vocoder or the harmonizer, you know, myself. And I, I really do, I think cheating is only when you don't know what the real shit is, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I, I mean personally. I love this. King Princess at the 930 Club in Washington DC on the role of computers and technology on stage. We'll take a quick break, and when we return, a conversation about writing music with artificial intelligence with Holly Herndon. And you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. The following message comes from our sponsor, Jack Daniels. Master distiller Jeff Arnett explains why Jack Daniels' hometown of Lynchburg, Tennessee, is a vital part of their whiskey. The people of Lynchburg, Tennessee are, are, are so committed, they take great pride in it. Because if you ever come to Lynchburg, you'll get a very strong sense that whiskey making is the lifeblood of the community. Uh, and it has been, you know, since the courthouse was built in the 1870s. To learn more about Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey, go to jackdaniels.com. Please drink responsibly. This message comes from NPR sponsor Sonos. Brilliant sound your way. Discover great gifts for the holidays with smart speakers, sound bars, and audio components for music, radio, TV, podcasts, and more. Sonos works with all major streaming services and can be controlled using the Sonos app, Apple AirPlay 2, and Voice. Explore all your gifting options at Sonos.com and enjoy free shipping and returns. I'm Bob Boylan with NPR Music. We're talking about music and technology in the 2010s and beyond. One artist among many who's embraced technology in the 2010s is Boney Vare. The sound of Justin Vernon in the last decade was this. These days, Bon Iver sounds more like this. Down along the creek, I remember something. Heard the heron hurried away. the breach that Bon Iver is using a lot of voice processing. One of the many things he uses is a process called auto-tuning. That technology has been around since the late 90s. You can hear it on Cher's 1998 hit, Believe. Auto-tuning was developed by a company called Antares, and it takes the sound of the voice and tries to place the pitch of the voice to match the common scales of Western music, or at least that's what it was designed to do. But by messing around with the settings, instead of simply correcting the pitch, it becomes an effect, adding a machine-like sound to the voice. But the future of voice processing and music making is very likely to be artificial intelligence. Composers like Oliver Arnolds and Nils Fromm use AI almost as band members, so that when they play the keyboard, their software listens to what they're playing and reacts in real time, almost like a bandmate. You can watch the Tiny Desk concert of Oliver Arnolds if you want to see this stuff in action. One of the artists already making music and stretching the possibilities of AI, and in particular using it as a voice processor, is Holly Herndon. You can hear those effects on her new album, Proto. I talked to Holly Herndon about making music with artificial intelligence.
explain to us all what uh, what's going on here. So when I first started using the laptop as my primary instrument um, in the early 2010s, I was at Mills College in Oakland, California, um, and I started using my voice as a kind of way to make the laptop a more engaging performance instrument to try to create a connection with the audience. Because, you know, at the time people were saying that, you know, I can't tell if you're checking your email or, you know, buying something on eBay or playing music. So there were all these kind of like... (laughs) criticisms which seem maybe a bit passe these days but back then that felt um felt kind of controversial to be playing with a laptop kind of front and center I I had a lot of friends who would use the laptop but kind of like hide it underneath the table and put all their cool boxes on top of the table but then really be controlling everything with the computer um which is funny but um So I was trying to find a way to um, engage with a computer in a way that's more um, interesting for the audience. And so I found that the voice was an interesting, you know, not only like data input, data stream, but also a controller. And um, so with the song Breathe, I'm doing a lot of granular synthesis. I'm doing a lot of panning and delays. And, um, you know, at the time I was working with Max MSP, which is a, um, a programming language and creating kind of my own custom versions of various vocal processes. And it was a way for me to kind of be able to expand my voice beyond the kind of physical limitations of my voice. So I could breathe in and out at the same time, you know, using a max patch, or I could expand my vocal range, or I could hold a note for like five minutes that I never could do without taking a breath. So I I found using um, digital processing on the voice like this way for me to actually find my true voice, which might sound counterintuitive, but I, I never really felt comfortable as a vocalist until I created this kind of like meta instrument with with the voice. That's really fascinating. Granular synthesis for people. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> granular, synth- <laughs> granular synthesis is like a microsound technique that kind of chops a sample into little pieces and then rearranges it in a kind of new way. So sampling, it's a, it's a kind of sampling technique in a way, being able to, um, you know, that's what sampling did for, for sound really, is it allowed us to listen to sound at different speeds and in a kind of like a different time horizon than you could in the natural world. So it kind of opened up and exposed some of the more sensuous qualities of a sound that might not be audible to the naked ear. So kind of for a visual representation, maybe if you took a 10-second movie and you zoomed in on one uh, fraction of that movie and that's your... Uh, sample. I don't know why I need to do a visual representation, but for some people it works better than... For <laughs> right, that would be a grain. Yeah, that would be the grain. Yeah. Well, like if you chopped up a movie into a million bits and then rearranged those bits, you would have kind of like something of the like ephemera of the movie, but it wouldn't be like the movie, you know? So that's perfect. So as someone experimenting with sound, what do you find you get out of it? So you put something in, you get something out. Is it just inspiring in a way to take your music in a new direction? What is it as the creator that is the back and forth, or is there a back and forth between you and computer? I would describe it as a relationship. I have a relationship with my computer, and I try to uh, reinsert some agency over the technology that I use because a lot of technology is designed in a way that kind of pushes us in one direction or the other. Um, And so that's why I try to come up with my own idiosyncratic processes and production techniques um, so that I'm not just kind of being pushed to make aesthetic decisions by whatever program I'm using. But it's definitely a back and forth. I mean, I felt, especially with my 
first album, Movement, was really about the kind of intimacy that I was um, having with this machine. And then on my second album, Platform, I started to question the kind of, you know, some of the political issues around that intimacy, especially in light of the Snowden revelations about, you know, the NSA and and also just kind of like some um, corporate data collection and spying. I started to kind of question that really intimate relationship that I was having with my digital tools and wondered um, if it was actually like a private intimacy or if that was something that was perhaps compromised. Give me an example of something on platform I can play and tell me what's going on. Hmm. Okay, well, we can choose between chorus or home. So chorus is kind of more of a like a poppy song and um, home is kind of more about what I was just talking about with this, um, this breach of trust. Let's do a little chorus and and then uh, and maybe then do a little home. Let's see what where we go. Okay, maybe we can like fast forward a little bit to the chorus of chorus. <laughs> uh, let me let me poke around and find that. Hang on. I, I don't know if you can see the wave file. I can't. No. There's kind of a long intro. We got that. There we go. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to assume that all the beats and stuff are uh, drum machine. Would I be right or wrong about that? Let's start there, people are hearing. Yeah, it's mostly digital drum machines. There's some hardware on that record, but um, it's mostly more for kind of like timbral effect. But um, yeah, I use a, I u- I'm not really um, orthodox in that. Like, I use hardware sometimes. I use software. For the voice, I primarily use software because it's just so much more flexible. So what is it that you're putting in voice-wise to this software? Like, what was the original? Do you, do you have any recollection of what you sang to get that? Oh, gosh, it's everything. It's it's me just kind of, like, goofing around in the studio and then turning, like, a couple of phrases, chopping those up and uh, expanding them and flipping them around and stretching them and pitching them <laughs> in every which direction to create a kind of, like, ensemble of my voice, really. Okay, let's listen a little more. When I work with computers and music, and uh, I started on the Synclavier uh, 2 back in 81, earlier that, than that with MIDI, I always think of myself as working with uh, <laughs> a companion or a collaborator. And I get stuff out of that that, I, you know, that surprised me that I couldn't do on my own. Uh, is your relationship that way with uh, your laptops? 
Yeah, I do feel like it's a kind of collaboration with my laptop. I mean, I often think about how the role of the composers changed over the last hundred years. You know, back in the day, composers were kind of imagining music and then um, writing that down as tablature on paper and then asking humans to perform it. And then they would get that feedback and then they could kind of tweak the score and go from there. And nowadays we can kind of set up a process on the computer. The computer will execute that process and we immediately have something to listen to that we audition with our ear and so it's a kind of more like almost like tactile um, dealing with the material almost I, I often think about it as like a sculptor so you're almost able to kind of like sculpt in real time more than than you could back in the day so I, I think about how that shift has happened from this kind of like Im imagination of tablature to auditioning with the ear it's really beautiful. I, I know, personally, I'd never, ever make music if it weren't for these tools. And I think that it's become, that we now have a more creative class of people. More, in other words, more people can create music because there are tools that are not so weirdly specific as writing, imagining in your head, having to write it on paper and then wait to hear it. Uh, there's no, there's only a very few special people that can make that happen and now we have this amazing <laughs> uh, array of tools for people who have different talents who want to make music and I, I really love that I think that the first one kind of, because music has its own language, musical language, it created a barrier of entry for people. And unless you had that very specific training, you couldn't really engage with that language. And so now the tools have allowed people who haven't been trained in that language to still engage with music, which I think is a really beautiful thing. You talk about this sort of intimacy that you have with your uh, your tools, your computer, and the questioning of the, that intimacy and, and so forth. Home is a, is a piece of music you've made. You start to tackle that issue. Should I play a little of it, then you tell me what's going on and, and expand on that idea? Sure. I can feel you in my room. so many things I want to ask you at once, <laughs> but, but you talked about intimacy and trying to deal with that sort of uh, awkward feeling, you know, fear might be one way. How are you tackling that issue? Talk about the lyrics, talk about the sounds. Yeah, so I sometimes joke that um, home is a, I mean, it's not really a joke, but that home is a, a love song for the NSA agent that's spying on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's, really a, it's really about how I was feeling such, you know, when I was at the 
the time I was touring quite a bit and I felt like I was more at home when I had access to my inbox and my devices than I felt at my San Francisco apartment because I was there so seldom and like, you know, as long as I had access to the internet and I could connect with the people that I loved through my devices, I felt like I was at home. So that's where the title came from. And then when I realized that maybe these weren't such, um, you know, just like one-on-one relationships, like maybe someone was listening in or maybe that data was being mind to create something else. And then it started to feel like that really intimate relationship that I had might be compromised. And so this was a song in response to that. And a lot of the uh, production around that is me recording myself kind of like running around the house or like, you know, various different kind of sounds from my actual apartment that I wanted to build in to um, create this really kind of intimate space. It's funny. I've never, I never think that other people are listening in or what the heck are they going to gain from me? Well, I started to think about the political ramifications for for not having private space or for not being able to communicate with your loved ones in a way that felt secure. Um, and so I think that those political implications, you know, that I was trying to build that into the artwork itself. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Can we talk about uh, technology? It's now 2019. Talk about uh, Proto, the current record and maybe illustrate what you can do now, what you're working on now that feels like uh, you're excited about in terms of music composition as we head into the 2020s. You and your partner work a lot with uh, voice still and feeding information into uh, computers and getting something back. So my obsession with vocal processing has taken me to uh, a kind of a uh, new level where I've been working, raising a, an AI baby named Spawn so that she can sing in my voice and do vocal acrobatics that I could never dream of. Uh-huh, that's awesome. <laughs> so we, uh, my partner and I, Matt Dryhurst, um, we created the album Proto that we released in May and we made the album with Spawn and with a developer named Jules Laplace as well as a vocal ensemble based in Berlin. And so we trained Spawn on my voice, on Matt's voice, and then on the ensemble voice and ultimately we held some public training events where we would train uh, with the public's voice and so it was a really fun uh, process of almost like getting back to some of my early musicking joy of just creating music in space with other people. Um, I come from a choral background, and so I really missed singing with people. Um, and, and I was trying to kind of see the parallels or maybe the um, the lineage between early vocal folk traditions as a kind of early human communication form, maybe one of the earliest human communication technologies, and uh, draw a line from that to um, to AI, which is a kind of today's um, human coordination technology. So yeah, we, we were looking at early vocal traditions, um, had a lot of fun uh, singing uh, with some twang. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm from East Tennessee, so I, um, I tapped into some sacred harp music as well. I think it's a fun record. Give me a, uh, an example of something. Are you putting voice into it and getting something out? And in which case, is there uh, an example of that with group that would 
work? Sure. So um, we did a bunch of, you know, Spawn's kind of like a metaphor for all of our different experiments that we did. Um, and so it's not, they're not all the same, but um, we, one of the things that we were doing is we were creating voice models. So the most obvious example of this is Godmother. That's a, a collaboration with Jay Lynn, who's a composer, American composer who works with a lot of kind of percussion rhythmic material. And so um, we created a voice model of my voice, and then we presented uh, Spawn with Jalen's um, rhythmic tracks, and then Jalen performed those tracks back to us through my voice model. And so it sounds like this insane, almost like beatboxing performance, where Spawn's trying to make sense of you know how I would perform that music. And it's really funny because I've tried to perform what Spawn performed, and it's like too fast and too deep for what I could do. So. She's already transcended kind of my physical limitations. Good. I'm going to I'm going to play a little of this then. Here we go. <laughs> such a fascinating listening experience because nothing like this has ever sounded like this ever right i mean take the the entire planet and the entire history <laughs> yeah. of the planet and then there's been nothing like those sounds at once and I, there's something that i love about the uh uniqueness about the singularity of that thank you yeah, I mean, I was really surprised when I heard the sounds because it was, it's not, it's, I didn't train Spawn on any of those sounds. Spawn combined my speech and my song phrases into those sounds. So that was like a, a really fun moment in the studio. Can you help us understand the word training in this regard? Like, what do you mean? Like, when, it, how do you know it's trained? Like, what is, what are you putting in and hoping to get back and <laughs> fine tuning? That's a really great question. So basically, AI is just a collection of like artificial intelligence is just human intelligence, right? It's like, it's only limited to whatever kind of like human created data it has access to. So we created a bunch of our own training sets, mostly out of sung material, especially for the voice model. And then basically we, you know, we create a data set out of that. We, um, we input that to Spawn. Spawn tries to understand, to learn the logic of those files and then is able to kind of re-perform them back to us. Does that make sense? It does. And and when it gets it wrong, is it the pitch or the length of the, like, what is, what, what are you, uh, you know, saying, no, not that? Yeah, I mean, f for us, there's kind of no really wrong or right. Sometimes wrong sounds really right. Okay, <laughs> so good, good. it's sometimes more just whether or not it's interesting. I mean, I would say maybe wrong in this context is sometimes spawn um, gets stuck on something and then it just kind of sounds like noise because um, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, um, hitting a dead end or something and then um, just spinning in circles. So we're just looking for something that's kind of tamarily rich and interesting. That's fascinating. I'll, one more thing, which is uh, ever since anyone started working music and computers, one of the issues that people think about is how beautiful music is and it reflects the soul of, uh, of us humans. And there's no way uh, computers can do that. Is there anything about soul and music and working with technology that uh, 
you think strips away the what some people think of, is, of as the essence of music, which is heart and soul? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could play fear, uncertainty, and doubt because so that's not using spawn. That's using vocal processing. But that song to me feels like for me, it's like expressing my ultimate kind of heart and soul it's very emotional but it's also extremely technical um, but I would never be able to sing those notes with my acoustic voice I need this kind of like cyborgian vocal <laughs> in order to to express this idea but I think if you hear it it's kind of undeniably emotional Musician Holly Herndon. There's a common thread to what Holly Herndon and King Princess are saying about the use of computers in music. And that's the ability to go beyond what's humanly possible, to better express our human emotions. The future of music composition and performance is likely to be a further blending of those elements, perhaps tapping our brainwaves directly as a means of expression. We've come a long way as a culture accepting the role of machines in the creative process and what the future holds excites me. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. <laughs>